Thank you. How many have enjoyed the truth series? It's been good. Amen. So we're going to do, like he said, the next part, part six, the true vine. And if you've been around, he's been contrasting as he starts out the difference between what? The real and the counterfeit. And that's why Jesus has been talking about, uh, you know, the truth and, and that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And so in this series, uh, we're looking at the I am statements of Jesus, but also what he used to define what truth really means, different adjectives that define the truth and the importance to us. So when we're contrasting counterfeits, he's been using $20 bills, but I have right here with me my Rolex watch. And uh, so, um, so about 20 years ago, my son Jeff was part of the missions team. They went down to Ensenada, Mexico, and uh, he brought back souvenirs, and he brought me back a Rolex watch. And so uh, let, let's see. I want to show you the difference between the real and on, on the right side's mine, and it, you know, it's got the Rolex little crown on it. It's got the little jewels in there. It's, it's, on the outside, it doesn't look too bad. Actually, I wore it to church once back then, and somebody came up to me and said, Rolex watch, huh? They pay youth pastors pretty good, or I guess I was assistant pastor. And uh, so on the outside, it, it looks pretty good, but, and actually, when I took it out of the drawer, the, the minute hand or the, the second hand still goes around, but none of the rest of them. And so it tells the time twice a day. It's accurate for twice a day. But what happened after that, uh, I don't know, a few years after, go, after that, we were in a building program here, and somebody put a Rolex watch in the offering. And so I, I again, we're saying, is this real? Is this fake? And we, we took it down to Hamilton Jewelers, and uh, Keith Hamilton there looked at it, and he said, well, this is how you can tell. On the outside, they can look pretty close, but, but it's how that, that second hand goes around. On a fake one, the second hand just moves like this. But on an authentic one, there's a continual sweep. It, it just flows. It's fluid. So unfortunately, th this one's 25 bucks, but a real one goes for, this is on StockX.com, 4,300 bucks. So um, I'm going to just raffle this one off. And uh, if anybody, no, actually, so again, comparing the, the counterfeit to the genuine, we've been in this series talking about things that Jesus said that represent truth as opposed to things that are counterfeit, things that are fleeting, things that don't last, things that aren't made or are part of our foundation. And so we're going to dig a little deeper in that today. I'm going to go to John's Gospel. And if you want to follow along in your Bible, we're going to pick it up there. So up until now, we've talked about the true word and the true bread, true vision, Jesus as the true shepherd, having true peace. And today we're in chapter 15 talking about the true vine. I love these, these chapters in the Gospels, especially in John chapter 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. I, I've, I've spent lots of time in there, and, and if I would pick probably my favorite passages in the New Testament would be right in there because it's Jesus talking uh, Last Supper stuff. Most of it in a, in a red letter Bible, it's a lot of red letter. It's Jesus speaking to his disciples right before he's gonna be arrested and go to the cross. I don't know about you, but when my father was dying, I was just, uh, I, I just wanted last words from my father. I wanted to communicate what he was saying towards the end was important. I was at my mom's bedside right before she died, and on that Saturday, she passed on a Wednesday. I, I was right there, and I could still see right now her lips moving with last words that I hung on to. 
And so here's Jesus about to go to the cross. He's saying some vital things to his guys. He's, he's unpacking some truth that he intends them to carry forward on and to live by and to frame the, the, just the, the birth of the church around some of his key words. And so we're going to read some of those right now. I'm going to read. It's going to be a little bit lengthy. If you have your Bible, please follow along with me. So we're in John 15, 1. Jesus said, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. One translation says he lifts up. We're going to get to that. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may more, might bear more fruit. You are already clean because the words which I have spoken to you abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you're the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. Wow. For without me you can do nothing. Verse 6, if anyone doesn't abide in me, he's cast out as as a branch and withered, and they gather them and throw them in the fire, and they're burned. Notice they gather them. He doesn't say he does it. We'll unpack that a little bit. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, You will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit, and so you'll be my disciples. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends. For all things I heard from my Father, I made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. And here's the last promise, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. Wow, this, this is loaded with promise, loaded with instruction. It's last word stuff. And it's interesting to me that Jesus would pick vines because when he left the Last Supper, Scripture says at the end of John 14 going into 15 that he went to the Mount of Olives. And so he was walking by olive trees. He could have talked to, the, to his Jewish disciples about the olive branch or olive oil, the importance of that. He could have talked about the symbology of the Old Testament, that Israel's like an olive tree that's blossomed. But instead, he chose to talk about vines. And I, I uh, was going to look for a vine for an object lesson, and so Pastor Richard brought one. But guess what? When you prune them away, they die really quick. It's part of the message. So I had to go to the, the, vineyard, the vineyard downtown, it's Beverly Fabrics, and, uh, and get, get us a, a grapevine. And so, let me see if I can untangle it. It's interesting that Jesus would use vines because Jews would understand vines. It's talked about through the Old Testament in different ways and in different fashion. And so this is a representative grapevine. If you can see, there's still little buds and little fruit on this. And the interesting thing about a vine is it's long. It has a root and it has a beginning, but it'll just keep growing and growing and growing. As long, long as it's trained, it'll keep moving in a certain direction. We have trumpet vines in our backyard. And our trumpet vines, our neighbors on the left and the right, enjoy our trumpet vines because they go this way across the fence. The neighbor on the side enjoys trumpet vines because how the purple vines growing up the side fence. I went to cut away the vine in the back, and the neighbor came out and said, no, no, leave it there. Leave it there. We, we like the flowers on it. And I'm watering it and fertilizing it. And you get the benefit, which is fine with me. <laughs> anyway, 
the, the vines will just take off. They'll just, just keep growing and growing. And the interesting thing is as tangled as they get and as messed up as they get, I can start at one and I can go back and I can go back and I can trace it all the way to where the root is. So that's what Jesus is emphasizing here. I'm a vine, longevity. I, I'm, I'm trained, moving into place, and you're part of that kind of vine. To a Jew, I just want to read you a couple things that a young Jewish mind or a, a student of uh, Scripture might understand when Jesus unpacks the idea of being a vine. If you were a first century Jew and heard for the first time that Jesus was the true vine, and his people were branches, you would have mixed emotions. On one hand, you would be quite familiar with the idea of comparing people to vines and vineyards. Grapevines were a familiar sight in Palestine. The Old Testament frequently refers to Israel as being a vine that God had planted. In an act of wonderful grace, God transplanted Israel into Cana and gave the nation every possible benefit. He says this in Isaiah 5, 4, What could have been done more to my vineyard that I have not done in it? God asked. You may have recited Psalm 80 in your morning prayers. In verses, Psalm, uh, in verses 8 through 9 in Psalm 80, he says this to God. You brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and you planted it. You cleared the ground for it, took deep root, and it filled the land. You would know how God brought Israel out of Egypt and planted it in the promised land. You would have read the words of the Hebrew prophets who likened Israel to a vine or to a vineyard. You would recall the words of Hosea who said that Israel was a luxurious vine that yields its fruit. Hosea meant that Israel increased in prosperity, but then he went on to say that Israel's prosperity unfortunately led to increased idolatry. The more his fruit increased, the more altars he built. You may have chanted the words of Isaiah. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He expected it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. No doubt, you were haunted time and again with the words of, that God spoke to his prophet Jeremiah. And Jeremiah says this, I planted you as a cho choice vine from the purest stock. How then did you turn degenerate and become a wild vine? Ouch. And you as a first century Jew would be very familiar with the symbolic meaning of vine and vineyard. In fact, the idea was so prevalent in the first century that in one of his parables, Jesus expressly made use of the vineyard motif as symbolism for Israel. Mark 12, 1 through 4. Then he began to speak to them in parables. He says this, Jesus did, A man planted a vineyard and set a hedge around it. He, he dug a place for the wine vat and he built a tower and he leased it to his vine dressers and went into a far country. And now at vintage time, he sent a servant to the vine dressers that he might receive some of the fruit of the vine vineyard from the vine dressers. And so Jesus gives this imagery and, and keeps this theme going. Different places in the New Testament referring to the old, saying that this, this is the root and you can trust this stream. You can trust the flow you're in. Because to the Jews, it's important. Legacy is important. Several scriptures or several chapters in the Old Testament were, were just dedicated to genealogy, saying this person begat that person, that person begat this person. They were concerned about the root. They were concerned about the legacy that followed, whether they're going to trust, whether they could put their faith in it. Church historians and ancient historians write about the different sects, the different cultures, the different false prophets that were around at Jesus' time. So when he announces to his guys right before he leaves, 
I'm the true vine. You can trust the root. You can trust. As, as this root that Isaiah spoke about, Isaiah 11.1, 1, he said there's this root, this stem that would come forth from Jesse. That's David's father. And then he said, and, and his name will be uh, wonderful, or no, the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of counsel, the spirit of understanding would rest upon him. He talks about, Isaiah prophesies from this stem, this root that would come from David, this vine would flourish. So Jesus said, true vine, because he's saying, you can trust me. And if you abide in me and you stay in this flow, I, I will strengthen you. You will experience my life. If you stay in this, connected to, to, to the, the fruit or the, the juice, the, what flows through the veins, what's it called? Not sap. It's like sap. I'm thinking of a word. Anyway, if you stay in this vine, it's going to flow to you and nourish you. Stay in the vine. I'm the true vine. Anybody with me this morning? And so when we look at it, we're just going to talk about a few key thoughts from this vine story. We're talking about Jesus and, Jesus and vines, about abiding. We're going to talk about the vine dresser because it's all about the vine dresser. And then we're going to talk about abundance that comes from abiding. So in the life of a, of a grapevine, especially in the beginning, there's, there's about at least seven different times when it's growing that the vine dresser will, will look at it and prune and begin to plan what he's going to do with the vine. Vines, they die off every year. They need to be, uh, you know, tended to every year. If you're driving by right now through Edna Valley, you can see that these vines are stretched out, that they're starting to grow, that the leaves are coming forward. And so when Jesus is talking about this vine here in Isaiah, he said this shoot that comes out, it's going to spring forth. And then he describes what the ministry of the Lord Jesus is going to be because he's connected to this root. Doesn't that kind of vine look like a menorah a little bit? And that's where we get the spirit of wisdom and the spirit of counsel. The understanding from Revelation is that the, these different attributes of the Holy Spirit resided in Jesus. And so when we talk about abiding in the vine, there, there, there's a lots of different philosophies around, is there not? We were just in uh, Sedona driving through the Navajo Reservation. We came across the Center for the New Age and you can get information about the vortex area of Sedona, all these spiritual places, psychic readings. Here, here's another. There's soul portraits. You could have your, the uh, portrait of your soul done there. Here, here's some other things they offered. Oops. Uh, intuitive readings, massage and cupping, uh, sound healing, Reiki energy healing, cranial sacral therapy, past life healing, Reconnective healing, myofacial release. I think I just need that, a myofacial release. <laughs> Hypnotherapy and spiritual life counseling. And so, or coaching. There, there, there's lots of options. Lots of options. And so when we think about Jesus working in our life, him being the truth, him wanting us to stay connected, wanting to stay in the flow, telling the Jews, this is my legacy you can trust me. You can abide in me. That's the point he wants to get across. Amen? That's why when he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Read the next line with me. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. Jesus. He, he is saying, guys, I'm leaving. You got to remain in me. This isn't a temporary deal. This is not a fad thing. 
There's authority. There's legacy. There's a flow that comes. But you need to abide in me. Yesterday we were down at, um, and, and that has to do with communion. That has to do with fellowship, abiding. That, that really, God's given us communion like, you know, that, that relational thing that needs to flow when you're connected into his body. There's life that flows. And so that's why he's given us one another. Grapes don't grow singly. They grow in clusters. And so you and me are called to be in this body, into this fellowship. Some, there's this word called supping, like come together for supper. It means to be, you know, intertwined, to be in relationship with him, but in relationship with one another. Yesterday, we were at Cali Life Church, and this, this is my, be what Jesus would do, Cali Life Church. Sup. What's up? We're down there. That's how they talk. It was funny when I read it. You had to be there to, to understand it because they're a cool church. And Mike's a, sup, guy. Hey, sup. Anyway. So let's talk about this principle of abide, because if you read that passage at least nine times, John used the word abide, yeah. abide. So let's just look a little bit about the importance of abiding. Abide means to remain or stay or continue. The word implies communion, connection, two-way communication, and drawing near. And so in that passage, John chooses to use the word abide nine times. Then he also uses the word remain. Now, the interesting thing to me, John wrote this gospel 50 years after the resurrection, and he was still walking with God, and the important word to him was abide. Tertullian wrote that John was actually boiled in oil for his testimony, and he miraculously was delivered from being boiled in oil, and th that whole town supposedly came to Christ because of the miracle about John surviving that. But if anybody could talk about abiding, John could. He was exiled onto the Isle of Patmos. He, he underwent extreme persecution. And then he was finally discharged and released. He became a pastor in the, in the church at Ephesus in his later years, and that's where he wrote from. But if anybody could write about abiding, John could write about abiding. So Jesus' words to you and me, you got to abide. I was tempted to put a chair up here and speak from a chair because I can't sit still very long. And for me to abide means to dwell under. For me to abide sometimes means to, you know, shut out the distractions, the things that pull this way, the things that pull that way. For me, sometimes abide is just to slow down. And I'm so grateful that it's Christ in us. He goes with us. He just doesn't wait in one place. I'm so grateful in my life for his grace that he's with me even in busyness, even in, in uh, you know, challenges of life. But abiding is, is my heart centered on him, my heart open to him, my, my heart focused towards him. When I'm abiding, there's an invitation, an ongoing invitation in my heart that says, Lord, I'm your guy and you're my God. Jesus, I'm your savior, you're my savior and, and I'm in you, Lord. And I, I can look back at the roots and see how faithful you've been in my life and how you've kept me in that flow. And I choose, Lord, to abide. Because you have to choose to do it. You have to choose. It's an act of will to abide. John would say, there's lots of philosophies, guys. John would say, uh, being in this Roman culture with Greek influence, and now uh, the, the nations of Europe opening up to trade, and all the ideas and philosophies and idols that are built, John would say, guys, guys, you got to abide. you got to stay connected to the branch. That's where the strength is. 
That's where the life is. That's where the fruit is. Amen? So let's talk a little bit about the vine dresser. Jesus said first, I am the vine, the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Huge thought. My father is the vine dresser. He says this, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Uh, other translation literally says he lifts it up. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it might bear more fruit. And so when I think about the vine dresser, many would say that the vine dresser has everything to do with the success of the branch. It, it, depending on how this branch is pruned and how it's examined, has everything to do with the fruit it's going to provide. And when Jesus calls his father the vine dresser, I mean, that means he's hands-on. That means when you and me say, Lord, I want to bear fruit, he, he comes in and he's intentional with our lives and he's careful with our lives and he's purposeful with our lives and he examines. I mean, the, the closest time that the, the vine dresser is to the vine is when he's pruning the closest he gets because he examines. When, when vines grow, let me see if it's, I think I have that slide. Yeah, when vines grow, there, there are seven times in, in the cycle, the growth cycle of the vine, where, where the pruner comes and has a look and sees what needs to be removed. So the pruning part, he says he, bear, he prunes away dead stuff. There's things that can start out in some of those little buds and at the beginning of the season, the, the vine dresser can come and say, that thing's going to lead to disease. I, I'm going I'm to just prune that thing away. Oh, look, there's, there's aphids on this leaf, and, and it's spreading to the other vines. I'm, I'm just going to start pruning some of those things away. Keep it from infecting the whole vine. Another time, even in heavy growth, when, when the, the grapes start, and my, my grapevine has some grapes here someplace. Anyway, here's grapes. Well, if the, if the foliage is too much and it covers up the grapes, they don't get to the sun. They're not exposed to the wind. If there's moisture that goes through and, the, and the, the leaves keep the grapes from being in the sun, they can get mildew. So the vine dresser would come and he says, I'm going to make some light around this little grape thing here. So when the cluster is in the sun, it's going gonna, it's gonna to reach its fullness. The other thing a vine dresser does is he, he thins. Sometimes when you look down a vine, you'd say, well, there's grapes here, there's grapes there, there's grapes there. They're going to draw this, too many grapes, draw too much strength from the vine. And instead of good, getting good, healthy clusters, the, the, the energy is going to be dissipated. Anybody think about that in your own life? How many things we have going on? And sometimes they're really good things. I notice really good things. And that sometimes they're things that just take strength sap life out of us and the father comes in and he says I'm gonna prune this one away that you might bear more fruit in the other parts of your life the other areas of your life and so when we submit to him he promises that he will train he will lift up parts of the vine like if you go through Edna Valley right now there's like three or four different techniques I read about for for growing grapes some of them they stretch it out long way and they let these things called the canes uh, go upwards, and then they'll figure out how many canes over a foot or over a, a meter that they would want to allow, and they trim from there. I mean, there's, there's a whole philosophy, a strategy about how you raise grapevines, and Jesus is involved in that in our life. Do you believe it? He says the Father is involved. He prunes away things. He lifts up things. I, 
read this quote from David Jeremiah, the vine dresser is never nearer to the branches than when he's pruning them. And so we say, Lord, I, I, I want to serve you, and Jesus, you're Lord of my life. And when we have that language, talk in that language, it gives them permission. It gives them permission to come and adjust things, to train. It gives them permission to prune. It gives them permission to, to remove stuff and to thin stuff from our life that we might bear much fruit. How many believe he wants you to be fruitful in your life? Amen? Well, let's see how he prunes. And uh, I think it's in red. The word of God, he uses two things. The father's pruning shares are the word of God and the spirit of God. And many have said to me, well, you know, I'm going through this tough time, this difficult time, lost my job and this and that, and, or I got off back into drugs and now father's pruning me. And often they're talking about the circumstances of life that are pruning them. And I know the Lord uses that, but you know, a, a, a vine, a healthy vine doesn't say, I'm just getting pruned through drought or through disease. They, do, they don't just point to the negative circumstances that's pruning them. No, I, I'm pruning them. I've submitted myself to the Lord and he's taking things out of my life and strengthening my life so I don't have to go between disaster to disaster to disaster to grow and be healthy. And so when we just rely on circumstances of life, difficult things, challenging things, when we just rely on that, that's, that's not really the true pruning of the Lord. He said this in, in John 1, 15, 3, you are cleansed and pruned already because of what? Because of the word which I've given you, the teachings I've discussed with you. The word of God is alive and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. The word of God's the pruning shears. When we begin to see God's word and say these things in my life, they're, they're, they're not adding up, Lord. They're, they're taking me from you, and you give them permission. He prunes stuff away. He also does it by the Spirit of God. Jesus said here in John 16, well, I will send him, the Holy Spirit, to you to be in close fellowship with you. That's the abiding part. And he, when he comes, will do what? He'll do what? He'll convict the world about the guilt of sin and the need for a Savior, about righteousness and about judgment. So when we open ourselves up to the word of God and the spirit of God and we say, Lord, I, I, I want to be your guy. I want to be your woman. And he begins to prune it as us. It's, it's the written word. And if we stay in the word, it will prune us. If we stay connected to the Holy Spirit, he will sharpen us. He'll train us. Do you believe that in here this morning? That's why Jesus said, I'm the true vine. You can trust me. When I got saved, and really, I answered an altar call in 75. I was uh, 17 then. No, 19 then, but uh, at 21 is really when I would say I gave my life to Jesus and started serving him. And that summer that the Lord started working in my life, I was working at the Marriott Hotel in Newport Beach as a landscape guy, and we would clean up the grounds, and we do the tr trimming and the pruning. And, uh, but uh, I had just been saved a little while, and I met the gal that worked at the pool. She's a lifeguard, little blonde gal, cute gal, really nice, and... Right away, huh? connection. And so, uh, you know, not only that, I drove kind of a beater car. She had a brand new BMW. When I got to know her, her name was Sue, her, uh, her dad was an architect, and they had a horse ranch in the hills of San Juan Capistrano. And, man, there was just so many things that we began to connect about and have fun. And so we started dating, and she knew I was kind of on this journey right then. There's Christians talking to me. Even some Christians at the Marriott Hotel were starting to talk to us. And, and we were starting to grow in relationship, but 
right away, her friends and the influences, and I could just tell what it was doing. I was, at one hand, wanting to serve God, pursue God, but I could feel the pull here and, and that just desire to go a whole other different direction. And so one night after we dated and, and we we're about to say goodbye and things were kind of heading a direction, I heard God's voice. And he said this, he said, I, I, she's going to leave you tomorrow. He said, this, this isn't for you right now in this season. She's going to leave you tomorrow. Well, I was kind of blown away for a minute. I even kind of made a comment. She looked at me and said, what? I said, said nothing, nothing. Well, the next day, the truth is, she didn't return my calls. She, she, a couple of days later, her boyfriend's car was back in the driveway. I mean, I got kicked to the curb in a big way. But I knew this. I knew this. I heard God's voice. I heard God's voice. He said, this, this isn't for you right now. You're not ready for this. You're trying to pursue me, and you don't know how to have a godly relationship. You don't know how to be an influencer strong enough to take her in my direction instead of her keeping you where you've been. And so I knew in that moment that God pruned that relationship. He thinned that relationship that I might meet my wonderful, gorgeous, beautiful bride now who likes my beater car. And uh, anyway, the Lord promises he would prune. The Lord promises he would take things out of our lives as we learn to serve him. Amen? Well, let's just wrap this up quickly. With We're going to talk for a minute just about wild vines. Jeremiah 2.21, he said, I planted you like a choice vine of sound and reliable stock. How then did you turn against me into a corrupt wild vine? This is the kudzu vine. This is a, a vine that the Japanese brought in to stop erosion. So they imported it, but the truth is it just takes over and becomes wild. And it overwhelms and just, you can't even see this original structure of a house because it's taken over the house. And when, when he says you become a wild vine and the different references he uses, this wild vine means you started out right, but then you got off. You got off into different directions. And I've been around now 40 years, and I've even watched in the body of Christ things that start out good, some things that even start out as truth, when they, they can just get off and just build a whole other like doctrine and a whole other stream that something was meant to edify the body, but just got way out of control. And when I got saved, it was in the Jesus People movement, and that was love, acceptance, forgiveness, come as you are. It wasn't a holiness movement. So we were coming as we are, and some people were staying there. Ron, this guy that was teaching Bible studies, getting high teaching Bible study. Well, after a while, the Lord begins to prune those things away. It's not healthy for the rest of the body when those attitudes persist. I watched during the, the uh, you know, it was during the Toronto outpouring and uh, Pensacola outpouring. There was a general, genuine outpourings of the Holy Spirit. God was moving so powerfully. But in those movements, there were some things that were just uh, part of the signs and wonders of those movements. One was the laughter movement. There was people, I was in some of those meetings, man, the joy would hit you and you would laugh and you would just like the refreshing of the Lord. And he promised in Acts, repent, the times of refreshing would come. But out of that whole movement in this area was a group of people that they thought the gist of every meeting was just to fall on the floor and laugh. And they called themselves the bar car. You know, on the train, there's all these different trains. There's passenger cars, but one's the cocktail car. Well, they would call themselves, we're all on the glory train, and we're in the bar car. And they would come to meetings, show up, and they'd end up on the floor disrupted, just laughing and rolling in circles, just having a good old time, but disruptive. 
And so other pastors and leaders, you know, had to finally come and say, guys, we understand that flow. We understand that anointing. But in the corporate setting, it, it needs to be pruned. It's, it's not good for the whole body. I've watched other people as well embrace their Jewish heritage, the messianic movement, which is so genuine. And I love to know about our Jewish roots and the feast days and what they represent. But I've watched Christians get enamored with Judaism and also just almost want to bring themselves back under tradition and law and precepts that they only started praying with head coverings on. They had to start every meeting with a shofar blow. There's a guy in our own organization, when he comes, he puts his Yamaha, Yamaka, his Yamaha on, his, 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 his Honda on his head, Yamaka. No, I don't, I don't mean to be disrespectful. Forgive me for that. But just he, he would want that head covering on. He'd put on the shawl, and, and he would be pursuing Jewish traditions, thinking it's going to get him closer to God. And I embrace the traditions, but Jesus said it's the Holy Spirit in us that brings us closer to God. It's not tradition and ritual. And so when these things begin to shape the church and begin to influence the church, the Father comes and he prunes them away because he is the vine. He has a flow, a way, a life that he's trying to develop in us. So when we're, we're feeling fringy, and sometimes, you know, in the 40 years, there, I would start reading the apocryphal gospels. Those are some of the extra books that never made the canonization of scripture. Some interesting stuff in there. But I'd be careful to build foundational doctrines on some of those books. Very careful. They're interesting. They add to, but they're not the main vine. They're not the main flow. The other things that I watch is people jump from here to there, and, and, and they don't get settled and established. And the idea of being in a vine and being in a cluster means you're rooted together. You're doing life together. You're, you're established. You're, there's, there's in the house, there's other people that assist the vine dresser in helping us grow. Maybe a little bit to a fault, some of us in the community were, were into the big church, big C, and bringing people together and embracing and endorsing other churches. And so in our community, I think there's a good feeling, and it's a God thing, that we're, there's one body in San Luis Obispo and in the county. There's one body of believers. But part of that is that I don't have to commit anywhere. I can just go here and be uprooted there and go here and never root there and just be uprooted there and so jump from place to place and never really kind of get in your vine or in your stream where you can be rooted and grounded and continue to grow. And I would just say, that let the Lord, if that's, you're in that season right now and sometimes it is seasons because you've come out of a place or sometimes even been hurt in a place and, and just, you know, you're just feeling unconnected, disconnected. I would just encourage you to go before the Lord and ask him, God, is there a place you'd want me to be rooted? Is there a place you'd want me to be established that I might just be in the flow of a fellowship, be in the flow of the body of Christ and stay rooted there and continue to grow there? Are you okay? Yeah. I just want to wrap it up. This is the key. When I think about abiding, John says it nine times, so it's an important, it's an important, important value. should be core value for you and me to be thinking about, are we abiding? Are, how are we abiding? And there's keys that'll help you do that. Community's one. Uh, 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 general, just an ongoing, you know, having a plan, plan for your discipleship, a reading plan, maybe a book that you're going through. If you need one, like it's already been shared, we have our devotionals that are out here. They're just starting this week and just encourage you to grab a devotional and go through that. Thanks, Pastor Jeff.
These are, I think there's a 19 days between now and Easter, and, uh, or I guess that would be right after Good Friday, right, when we're gathering together. We're going to gather here to worship together, but there are several pastors in our community that put this together and are praying, and we're going to be praying and fasting at this season. So to be connected that way and say, I, I, I want to just be part of what God's doing in this season and pray for the church and pray into fruitfulness in our community, that would be one tool that might be useful to you. J.C. Ryle, pastor, says this. He says, to abide in Christ means to keep up a habit of constant close communion with him, to be always leaning on him, resting on him, pouring out our hearts to him, and using him as our fountain of life and strength, as our chief companion and our best friend, to have his words abiding in us, is to keep his sayings and precepts continuing before our memories and minds and to make them the guide of our actions and the rule of our daily conduct and behavior. Now, if you would take that legalistically, you said that, that could sound just like a robot there, that this is all I do. I only speak the word of God. And, and, but, but it's about relationship. See, I know when I'm abiding is when things happen, I can hear the word of God come out of me. I can hear and feel and sense the word of God rise up in me. I know when I'm abiding because when my peace is attacked, there's a greater peace in here that speaks. There's a greater peace in here that begins to rise. Getting assaulted from the outside, but something else rises in the inside. His peace, his truth, his joy begins to rise up from the inside. That's why John says, you got to abide. you got to stay close to him so his life flows down the vine and it remains in you. Amen? All right. Well... Last but not least, here's, here's some of the fruit of, of abiding that Jesus listed right there. When we went through John's passage, if you would have circled key words, a couple of them you might have circled is this. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may remain in you. My joy says it's his joy. It's a different kind of joy. His joy has a future to it. You're, you're, you might be stuck right now in this thing, but... His joy lifts you out of that and says, I, I, you have a future and a hope. His joy says, this, this too shall pass. There's a way forward. His joy says, in the spite of these circumstances, you just don't keep, have to keep your head down and looking at the negative things around you. I'm going to be the glory and the lifter of your head. I'm going to allow you to see things differently. I'm going to allow you to see things as I see them. I'm going to allow you to see joy in the trial you're in. That's why James could write, I can count it all joy, brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing, knowing that the, the testing of your faith is going to produce something. Yeah. It's going to produce faith. It's going to produce endurance, perseverance, he said. And so his joy is different. In the midst of tough stuff, his, his joy can come. It was the other night when I got a call that Frank View, uh, he's in our church, and uh, he, he had a stroke. And so I showed up at the ICU the same time Nellie Livingston, who's 84-year-old intercessor, an amazing lady, just an amazing lady. She's been in our church and friends of our church for years. We showed up at the same time to pray for Frank View. And Frank, fortunately, he, he has all his facilities. He just was having some problems with the communication side and the speech side. We're praying for Frank, and he's coming through this in Jesus' name. Amen? But I share this because it was kind of a difficult situation. It was a tough situation. But as we began to pray, we began to pray there. And the presence of God filled that little ICU room. 
And a few minutes as we're praying, Nellie's kind of laughing, I'm kind of laughing, and Frank starts laughing. And then Frank starts praying in the spirit. Then Frank starts speaking in sentences when, 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 when we're there and the presence of God's there. Would have, could have been a very, very difficult, and it is, he's still, you know, being healed and walking it out. But when the presence of God comes, there was a joy in the room. There was a joy over him. It's, it's a joy different than the world gives. Amen? And that's why Jesus says you got to abide. And when you do, I, I've spoken these things to you, that my joy remain in you. And if we would have finished that sentence, he says, and that your joy would be full, not half empty, that you would have full joy. Another result of just staying connected to the vine, he says, no longer do I call you servants. This is 1515. For a servant doesn't know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends. So part of abiding is he just didn't call you into servitude. He called you into relationship. He said, part of abiding, you're going to know what I'm speaking. I'm going to share with you in intimacy the things I'm doing in your family and in your life and your community and your world. And I'm not just going to call you a servant. I'm going to call you friends because we have this abiding communion. We have a connection. Speaking of communion, ushers, could you pass it out? And we're going to take communion here in a minute together. And so the last but not least, which is an amazing promise, an amazing promise, he says here in 1516, you didn't choose me, I chose you and appointed you. And, and, and to me, that's just the personal invitation, the personal thought that there's a vine dresser. He called you into relationship. He said, I called you and appointed you that you might go and bear fruit and that your fruit, that fruit would last and remain. And then he says, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. Well, I've heard people quote that in prayer. God, you said, whatever I ask in your name, you'd give it to me. And it's an amazingly powerful promise. I've had other people back up and say, that just seems like, you know, God in a bottle, like he's a genie. And you're just going to ask him anything, and you just expect him to do it for you. Well, in context, he's saying, if you abide, you're going to have my heart. If you abide in me, your purposes and my purposes are going to start lining up. If you abide in me, there, there's something I'm going to start talking to you about is my will for your life and my plan for your life and my mission for your life. And, and I'm going to start directing you and guiding you into what you're supposed to be doing. And I tell you, when we're connected like that, nothing's going to be impossible. When we're connected like that, you're going to be able to ask me because you'll be my representative on earth. You'll be saying, God, thy kingdom come, thy will be done right here. And when you're praying that way and you're connected to me that way, anything you ask anything you ask. Father, we need a building. Father, we need an orphanage. Father, we need help in a mission. We need, we need help in Kenya, God. We, we're going to build a computer lab for the kids in, in Nakuru. We're going to build it because they're only coming up to a certain level and technology in the cities passing our agape children by in Nakuru. So we're going to build them a computer lab. Father, we believe it's your plan and your purpose how you raise that school up in the middle of that little slum, and there's 400 and some kids being educated to a certain level. Father, we're calling on you. We need a computer lab in Nakuru, Kenya. Father, we need a training school in Cambodia. And we start praying with that heart because we're connected to the vine. We're connected to his purpose. We're connected to his plan. And he said, read the last line with me, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. Wow.
because we're friends and we're not just servants, I believe what he gives us too. You know, some people always say, well, you know, God will meet your need. I believe he meets your desires too. Because when your heart starts lining up with his and you start operating as, a, as an agent of heaven, as a friend of God, and start flowing from that place in the vine, it's amazing, it's amazing what he'll do. Amen? Last slide while the ushers continue to pass out the elements. The, the oldest vine in the world, they think, is about 400 years old. And it's in Slovenia. And most grape vines, if you drive around the vineyards here, most of those vines will produce from 30 to 40 years. But this one, historically, they've traced, it's 400 years old. And there's some things interesting about it. Well, it survived world wars. It, it was planted around the time of the Ottoman Empire. So they didn't take photographs back then, but they knew about the buildings in the area and the tradition about this vine that was growing on this old building. And so it survived fires. There was disease, I forget the years, it was like 1917, right around the First World War, that disease went through the vineyards of Europe and killed many of the vines and dried them up. But this vine had a taproot that goes all the way down to the river behind the, the house. And so in times of drought, it was drinking. It was still drinking. In times of drought for everybody else, this vine still had tapped in. It was abiding. Its roots were abiding. And now, every year, there's, a, there's a vineyard guys or pruners that come out. They prune that vine. And it doesn't produce a lot, but it produces some pretty good grapes. And, you know, I know we're in wine culture here. And, but but, but that, that vineyard, that, that, those grapes from that tree or vine, they produce just, I can't even remember how many bottles. Not a lot of bottles. But because it's the oldest vine and so rare, those bottles go to dignitaries around the world. That vine is still producing and touching dignitaries around the world. I want this vine to produce like that. I want it to keep producing. How about you? I, I want fruit to come from my life that could touch dignitaries around the world or dignitaries around the Central Coast or people that you run into and I run into that we could have an impact and influence and that we finish strong. Amen? Could you stand with me?